is Zach with La Familia Ayahuasca, and I'm sitting here with my better half, <laughs> uh, Jess. Hello. You, how are you doing, Jess? Great. Great. Um, first off, thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Ayahuasca Family Podcasts. Uh, Ayahuasca Family is English for the name of our retreat uh, program called La Familia Ayahuasca. With that said, let's jump in to today's podcast, which is on the subject of big lessons that we have learned through uh, the ayahuasca experience and also uh, other plant medicine experiences uh, such as dieta. And may, we may even get into combo mm -hmm. as well, which is not necessarily plant per se, animal medicine, if you will, <laughs> quite literally. Okay, so Jess, why don't we have you start off? You're better at articulating and remembering these big lessons than I am. Uh, I have, for me, it's quite overwhelming because there are so many to choose from. Can you start us off with one of your big lessons from ayahuasca? Yeah, well... Of course, one of the most powerful experiences I, I ever had was my very first experience with ayahuasca. And uh, at the same time, we were actually also doing a tree dieta. And I remember laying outside and seeing the tops of the trees. And as the medicine was coming on, and I could feel this very physically, I heard this voice in my head or just had this amazing realization that, wow, plants are so much smarter than human beings. <laughs> it was this, uh, it was a really deep realization too, because I think a lot of people who haven't worked with plant medicine, um, a, a lot of times we get caught in this this idea that just because uh, a tree or a plant doesn't move or doesn't talk the way that we do, that it doesn't have the same capacity for consciousness. But I was literally physically taken into this place of realization that the plants are receiving all this energy that is information. It's directly from the sun and their kind of consciousness is so much more vast it's it's cosmic and that was a huge realization for me because i had never thought of trees or plants as as being able to communicate with me or or having anything to say to me which is exactly the opposite of what's true <laughs> yeah and it's we could go a couple of different directions with that idea one is what how would you describe plant consciousness and what are some aspects that uh, the plants, even at a, a very basic, if we look at plants, what do they teach us? Or look at trees, what do they teach us, right? Right. Well, stillness, for one thing. No matter what is going on around them, they, they don't really have much of a choice. They, they just hold their center, they hold their stillness, and they react and adapt in, in the way that's, that's natural. And they, they can't really have any form of true resistance to their experience. Yeah, and stillness, which would go along with patience, and um, you know, in that stillness, they're 
maybe the thing that I've picked up is that everything is, and this is a, a very prevalent teaching among many spiritual teachers, particularly and Buddha comes out or came out and said it very clearly in permanence that everything will change. And if one is able to sit in stillness and simply watch things change and not get caught up in the um, current uh, feelings of resistance and, and therefore suffering, then there's liberation there. Uh, would, would you agree? Absolutely. I also feel like it called a lot of attention to my conditioning and my, my concepts of reality. Uh, because things automatically as that medicine came on were not as they had seemed before and it just opened my mind in, in so many ways to what what does the environment what do the plants have to teach us what the, the spirits of of rocks and just the environment around us the energy around us like there's a lot of sentience there and what does it what kind of wisdom does it have to share with hmm. us I'm curious in your experience and you know, obviously you've worked with ayahuasca and and other trees and plants um, for some time now what is it three years four years almost four years almost four years and very intensely of course mm-hmm. uh, have did you notice almost immediately after that first retreat or maybe it took a couple of retreats and this is a question notice that even when you were outside of ceremony that you were picking up on more sensitive to sentience more sensitive to um, other people's energies and so forth very very much that actually happened throughout that retreat but particularly at the end of the retreat I remember the very last day there were a few people that were pretty agitated at the end of that particular retreat and um and just agitated because they're, they're, you know, had their whole worlds shaken up and their their concepts of reality challenged. Um, but I could feel it. I could feel it. It was like this vibrating energy, and it was making me dizzy and pretty ungrounded. And um, I remember coming to sit with you and Scott and Amy, and Scott handing me this crystal. Just said, "Hold on to that for a minute. You're a lot more sensitive than you were at the beginning of this retreat." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> that's very. I feel that. And yes, um, I think that ayahuasca can open you, um, open your sensitivity up so much where you you almost have to when you go to the grocery store kind of prepare yourself for for feeling what other people are feeling. Uh-huh. And it's you know, that sounds like it's a really, would be a really great tool to have in your toolbox, but it's very overwhelming at first because you, sometimes you don't realize also how much people are suffering and that you're going to feel that too. Um, so powerful opening, um, yeah, both of, of my mind and, and my energetic body. Yeah. It's interesting. You use that word tool around this, um, kind of post, retreat increased level of sensitivity because it is it is true you know i agree it's 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 a tool and tools are very useful and we need to learn how to use them and be careful with them Um, a great example would be a chainsaw 
amazing, an amazing tool and extremely useful. And it can also cause some um, cause some damage if you don't know what you're doing with it, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, cool. So what about you, Zach? When when did you when did it fully hit you how sentient the plants were? When did when did that one fully get embodied for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I don't know that I articulate it as such. I definitely felt from the 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 first retreat that I went on in Peru definitely felt the intelligence um I remember after I think the third out of five the third ceremony out of a series of five I was lying at the end of ceremony and after ceremony for those of you who don't know you're still oftentimes feeling the medicine, albeit not necessarily at the peak of it. If you're lucky, you're still peaking. (laughs) We like to say enjoy that second feature or continued extended feature, if you will. But I was sitting there and it hit me. I was like, wow, we as human beings, particularly in our culture and society, Um, have really forgotten how to live, that is, relate to other people, uh, relate to the natural world, and connect into that and really feel that. And ayahuasca teaches us how to live again, how to live in harmony, how to live with an understanding that we are connected and that um, with that feeling of connection we can feel into and understand the quote-unquote other uh, those people around us those things around us the things including the plant uh, plant and animal and even mineral world if you will so the second major lesson that I ever learned from ayahuasca was the second night. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one, I mean, I certainly use the lessons from the first one, but this is one that I, I actually, I use it every single day of my life now. And my second ceremony was really difficult for me. Um, Prior to the retreat, I had had some anger that was just ricocheting around in my body and I did not know how to release it because intellectually I had completely let go of the situation and I wasn't but I knew that I still had this energy in my body that was just angry and I had no idea how to let it go and so that second night uh, as the medicine was coming on I started having all of these really awful thoughts about everyone in the circle, like Mm. really angry for no good reason. And I was just thinking as I was going on, like, that is so weird. I don't think things like this, what's going on. But yeah, as the, as the medicine came on, there was this incredibly beautiful machine that came and floated over my body. And it, it looked like a very ornate dangling earring and also had the spinning colorful discs on it. But it came and it floated over my body and it stopped right over my heart. And then I felt this pressure. It wasn't painful, um, but it definitely wasn't comfortable either. I felt this pressure on my heart and it literally opened. 
And then all the little dangling pieces of the machine went down into my heart and there were these sucking sounds and all kinds of things. And then just all this horrible stuff just came flooding out of my heart, out of my body. It was it was anger, it was disgust, it was rage, it was pain. And um, I was really resistant to it at first. And then I heard ayahuasca tell me that to release that energy that had been in my body, I would have to really feel it. Um, really feel it physically and really be vulnerable with it and that was really difficult because the the pain was very intense and it's not a physical pain it was a like I felt like I had been hurt to the very core of my being and the anger that I was holding in my body prior to that was a resistance against feeling that hurt and that vulnerability and so when I felt that, just these interdimensional sobs just started pouring out of me. And it was, it was really hard, but it was such an amazing release. And I could feel it in my body tissues. And, uh, you know, I struggled. I struggled that whole night. And, and Zach really, really helped me out with that one. Um, but I was sort of in this state until the sun came up the next morning. And then as I was taking a shower after not having slept and my heart just burst completely open. And I think all I felt for an entire week after that was love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the lesson there, the really important lesson there was that when you resist feeling your feelings in the moment, even if it's very painful. And when you resist being open and naked and vulnerable to your human experience, it gets stored in your body. And until you open your body and your energy and your heart up to feeling these things, they are there. Mm. They're stuck there. And that's just a super important part of my everyday practice Mm. now. And this is... Uh, he, uh, very very important point to bring forth um, about when one goes through a difficult experience in ayahuasca it can be quite confusing for people um, particularly in the beginning because there are oftentimes expectations of this big light show and healing however people in the West in particular have a different sense of what healing is. I think there's an association with healing is taking a pill and feeling good, uh, whereas ayahuasca often, in the, particularly in the beginning, there's a cleaning process that is a uh, releasing of these stored experiences that have not been fully experienced, and they're having to be fully experienced, and that does not feel good in as they're being released and yet there is this kind of ecstatic component to them if one fully experiences them but if they the trick is is if they fight it they resist it they don't they want to avoid that that's going to cause suffering right right i i have two kind of analogies to to compare this to it's it's kind of like 
when you're feeling really, really nauseous and you don't want to throw up and you just continue to feel nauseous and if you hold it in, you're just going to continue to feel really bad, really nauseous. But when, there's this cathartic experience when you finally throw up and you're like, oh, God, I feel so much better. Mm. And then also um, it's it's a little bit like yoga too. When you're pushing into those postures where it starts to get uncomfortable and you're pushing beyond where you you could normally go and you're breathing into that space if you tighten up all your muscles it's gonna hurt or you're gonna get injured but if you just breathe into those spaces where it's uncomfortable and push a little bit farther it opens up into energy that just floods your entire body Hmm. so that's that's sort of similar to to how it feels to me in the medicine when i'm working with something challenging Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another point there is meeting the medicine halfway. You've got to work with those challenging experiences. It's, um, it's important not to just tighten up everywhere and resist the, the healing that's happening. You have to meet the medicine halfway. You got to open up and allow the medicine to come in and clean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a simple concept. Open up, let go, oh, be yeah. vulnerable, surrender. <laughs> These are simple concepts that are easy to say, oftentimes challenging to do, because uh, in our culture we're certainly not taught to to do these things. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're oftentimes taught to do the opposite, which brings me to another point um, on this subject, and that is sometimes people are confused about, well, I had this experience of, uh, there's a recent situation where a person had an experience of um, feeling very vulnerable and being upset about the vulnerability and being confused about that. And from our perspective, while we don't try to interpret people's experiences, if one has repressed an emotion or has been taught that, say, in this case, vulnerability is a, a, a not a good thing, particularly for men, um, and it has been repressed throughout life, it has been pushed to the side and you know, have to be a strong man or uh, boys don't cry, all these things, ayahuasca is going to bring it to the surface um, because once again it is an experience that has not fully been felt right mm-hmm. um, and the other thing to talk about um, or another point to bring up around this whole subject of un, un, unlived or unexperienced uh, energies or emotions and so forth is the idea of past generational um, generational trauma, generational karma, uh, epigenetics, we can get into that. Um, So do you want to comment first on the suppressed emotions that we learn and how that can come into an ayahuasca experience and then move into the the generational stuff? Actually, I think you did spectacular jobs describing the suppressed emotion and how that gets held in the body tissues. As far as the intergenerational stuff and epigenetics uh, I can definitely comment on that um, 
So we have our, our genes and our genes, our genetic material is the same. Um, or it, it, it's, it's fixed, right? What we receive from our parents. However, experience and our parents' experiences and their parents' experiences actually affect how our genes are expressed. And that's called epigenetics. So you receive a lot of information from the, the traditional uh, concept is seven generations back. Um, you receive information about what genes get turned on, what genes get turned off, uh, how much a gene is expressed or not expressed. Um, and and that's, that's scientific. That's not woo stuff. That's for real. Um, so when we are doing this work, when we're going into our body tissues and releasing and healing this stuff, that's actually working at a genetic level. And you are doing that healing work for the seven generations that preceded you and seven generations for it because that epigenetic information will get carried forward um, to, to your offspring, to your family. So um, actually, I can comment a little bit on combo um, on this point because I had a really powerful experience just yesterday. Yeah. Can we can we make an aside on combo? For those who don't know, combo is a uh, is using the excretions of the waxy tree frog from uh, the Amazon basin. It is actually the venom uh, that has a bunch of. Um, biopeptides, neuropeptides, uh, and really amazing uh, medicine for from a physical standpoint, but also because it's going in and releasing um, a lot of tension in the body. It's also really can be very helpful for trauma, PTSD, and depression, anxiety, and so forth. So uh, if you want to learn more about combo and are not familiar with combo, it is very different from ayahuasca and yet um, also an Amazonian-based uh, medicine, although it's an animal medicine versus a plant medicine. <laughs> and we do work with combo as well. And one can um, kind of add combo um, to their retreat if they want to come work with us down here in Guatemala. We offer that as well. So I just wanted to explain that combo is a different uh, type of medicine than ayahuasca. And, and for those who, don't, who are not familiar as of yet. So... Yes, please. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so actually just yesterday, uh, I gave my dad a combo treatment. My parents are down here living with us in Guatemala, which makes it even more of a family, which is wonderful. But anyhow, I, I gave him the last of uh, a set of three treatments yesterday. And he had such a powerful release in his heart. It was, it was really powerful to be there facilitating the medicine, but actually throughout the day and later on in the day, I felt it working in my body, reorganizing my cells. I had to, I had to sleep for an hour or so in the afternoon because I was feeling the work that he had done benefiting me. So I, I needed to sleep and rest and integrate all that, but it, I definitely feel that it had a, his work as my father had a big impact on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the um, I think uh, I wanted to kind of 
put a frame on what you've been talking about consistently the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And, and that is <clears throat> this um, idea that while we can intellectually understand the concepts of letting go, the concepts of releasing and surrendering and so forth, <clears throat> we oftentimes forget that there's a physical component. There's a somatic component is, is what we talk about a lot. And that that is oftentimes the most difficult because we, we are not taught how to release things somatically. And we can even look in the animal kingdom wherein um, a, you know, a giraffe or a gazelle gets attacked by a lion or goes through some sort of stressful thing. Immediately after, if they, if they escape, <laughs> if they escape, they do this big shake. They're just like, Ugh. they let it all out. We may have had that ability in the past, but we don't currently, or as far as I know, not. Um, not many people anyway. Some people understand that. Um, but I, I would say they're in the, the far minority. And what the plant medicines do is they help us somatically release. So we, you know, yes, there is um, uh, a intellectual perspective change that happens. And this is what can be done with, say, psilocybin and MDMA and... Um, LSD to a certain extent, but a lot of those don't have this intense uh, somatic release that ayahuasca or, as you just mentioned, combo. So um, this is this is something that I think is a big lesson for uh, both of us as we worked with ayahuasca is the somatic side, and this is what makes ayahuasca and and combo so special is the somatic release or the physical releases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> often um, anyone who's uh, sitting with ayahuasca may have a lot of physical vibrations and shaking that's going on. Um, and that is a somatic release. That is ayahuasca going through the physical body and the energetic body, um, helping to, to shake things loose to shake these things free that have been uh, caught up in our body tissues which are also our subconscious they're the same thing the the tissues of the body and subconscious are equivalent so releasing from the body is releasing from your subconscious mind Mm -hmm. that's big so i i would like to share a big lesson um in, in my ayahuasca past. And this was a lesson <clears throat> learned, I would say, about four years into my quote-unquote career working with ayahuasca. And I, at this point, I was um, very much already leading ceremony and so forth. And it was around fear. I have through reasons and events throughout my life, and I can't really put my finger on it, um, and maybe it might, might be some uh, epigenetic stuff, some lineage stuff too, have worked with a lot of personal fear, being afraid of things, and uh, both in and outside of ceremony. Um, I've definitely had my scary moments in ceremony. And one thing that I, I noticed in the jungle with my teachers on several occasions 
they would be in the middle of ceremony and blurt out, I'm not afraid of anything. Come on, bring it on. And so what, what they're doing is um, facing something and, and putting forth this, this idea that they're not afraid. And it occurred to me, I'm like, why, why are you saying that? What, if you're not afraid, then it's not an issue to even bring up which led me to the conclusion, oh, no, they're actually afraid, and they're just trying to, you know, machismo culture and trying to cover it up. And so first recognize that, but then in ceremony, um, sometime later when, again, I was leading, um, uh, leading ceremonies and retreats, it hit me as like, yes, I was dealing with fear. It's, um, it's, there's oftentimes some, some scary stuff, particularly as a facilitator that we have to work with and deal with. Um, as we're taking care of other people, um, it can be disconcerting, uh, to say the least. And I was like, whoa, yeah, I'm afraid. And then catching myself trying to push that fear away and trying to um, do that, what my teachers did, which was, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Instead, going into it and going, oh, shit, I am scared shitless. I am afraid. And the irony was that as soon as I admitted it and I was honest with myself, what I was feeling and fully felt it, it went away. Hmm. So that was a, a huge lesson about emotions and particularly fear. And, um, you know, it, and it's, it's kind of cliche that if you, the, the only way to deal with fear is to face the fear. And again, very simple, but we... It's so hard to when when we face something that's scary, um, whether it be visually or something we feel emotionally. It's so hard to go and face it and feel it and go, okay, here I am, open and vulnerable. Once again, that open and vulnerable. There's that strength in the vulnerability that is so counterintuitive. It's crazy. It's crazy. Along those same lines, didn't you also have a realization about how? Amazonian shamanism is practiced and, and how you, like the brujeria mm-hmm. and, and how things have kind of changed in the way that we practice versus what you learned. Yeah. So in, in the, the Amazon, there's this, this idea of brujeria, and that is witchcraft. And it is um, very much a real thing down there. And there's a... Sure, I'm, I'm sure that there are witchcraft practitioners. Um, it has been said that there are more brujos or witches or sorcerers in, in the jungle than there are curanderos, which are healers. And that is because it's more profitable to be a sorcerer or a witch. That is, um, people will hire these people, these witches or sorcerers, to do bad things or cause bad luck for say, their business uh, competitor or um, jilted lovers, that sort of thing. And it's almost in the air down in, in, in uh, Peru. And a lot of times you go to a... When I went to my first few retreats, it was a topic of conversation um, that, you know, the, 
the brujos would come and try to attack the, the shaman at the retreat center. During, when I say attack, it's at, on the astral level, not they don't show up and try to <laughs> pick a fight. Um, so it, it, and it created very much uh, a, a sense of fear. You know, don't go drink ayahuasca with anyone else because, you know, they might be brujos, um, which which may be true, uh, you know, so we can't discount that, but there was a lot of fear-mongering. And living, when I moved beyond going to an organized retreat for gringos and living in the jungle, there was clearly a, a belief around this. And um, I myself got caught up into it. You know, I would have these visions of these <laughs> brujos and we'd be fighting them and but we're on the good side and they're the bad guys <laughs> and so the ego loves it the ego loves it and at one point <laughs> at one point I, I was like wait a second this keeps happening over and over and over again we keep blaming things on the brujo we keep bl- blaming things on the bruja um, they're the same people over and over again. So clearly this conflict is not working. And it was at that point that I go realized that do the opposite of fighting. And that is one, hold on, is this actually a brujo who's attacking in the astrals in my visions? Or is it some sort of egoic stimulation coming up to the surface to deal with and and kind of integrate if you will rather than fight i mean we could we could look at the the brujo as a um, uh, ex- external manifestation created by our minds uh in regards to some of our egoic gunk that we need to work on and so if we keep doing that over and over again it doesn't work it's gonna it's just it's essentially a suppression now this is not to say there i'm 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 still think that there may be people out there wishing poorly of other people and there's envy and there's jealousy and all that sort of thing and they might put some energetic oomph around it and it from my perspective, the brujos are wonderful teachers as they stimulate these parts of our ego to tempt us to react in fear, to react in frustration, to react in anger. All these uh, negative emotions, the reactions, my sense is that they're food for that that and it's it's like the energy comes forth, the brujo comes forth in in the the vision, and then it's up to me: do I react with uh, defense, or react with um, fear, or react with frustration or anger, or do I release, give it space, love, compassion? and release my own version of what I'm being attacked with. And it took a while to work through that because I'd been conditioned so uh, deeply uh, from the, the culture, the jungle culture uh, in which uh, I was learning and practicing. So I, I didn't, I just thought, oh, this is the way it's done. And it was then that it took, um, 
through these experiences that I started to go, wait a second, this is not working, and then starting to work with this new way of being. And these are these new way of being are the ways that Christ taught love, forgiveness, compassion. It's the way Buddha taught. Taught he, Buddha was always talking about, yeah, you know, at his point of enlightenment, Mara, which is this big gigantic demon, tempted him with sex, tempted him with with um, shooting arrows and missiles and sending demons at him and so forth. And he did not react. He held his center. Um, and even once he went through his enlightenment ex- experience, and same with Jesus, I believe, um, he Jesus had an experience with the devil where the devil tempted him with the power over all others and so forth and asked him to do all these um, miracles for the devil and you know jesus was just like nah 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 and buddha was kind of the same thing he got tempted with sex and 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 war and he was like nah 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 and that what that is what led um in buddha's case to him finally becoming enlightened that said after enlightenment, Mara still showed up, still tempted, still kept trying, still you know, all these things. And if we look at Jesus Christ's story as well, he still had all these temptations show up. And my sense is, is you know, this is where ayahuasca uh, can help us um, on that path of realization, enlightenment, liberation, is that she can bring forth these uh, temptations that we can react in fear, we can react in anger, we can react in all these different ways, or we're in a safe place, which is an ayahuasca ceremony, to hold our center and react open, relax, be vulnerable, and, and heal and integrate rather than fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fighting is uh, resistance, the fighting is suffering. Mm-hmm. That is a big one. <laughs> yeah, gigantic. It's and again, it, it, it's something that took a long time because I had that previous conditioning, not only from life but also from my teachers. Um, I had a lot of conditioning to work through, and um, still, on occasion, have to. to it's becoming le- much less, much less uh, as we're. You know, as I've become more um, secure, more have more. I want to use the word faith, but faith implies that there's a belief, but a knowing, an inner knowing, that my my core self, my dharmakaya, as they say in in Tibetan Buddhism, is indestructible. A divine being is indestructible. The only way that we can harm, be harmed, is in through our minds and how we react to these temptations. Gigantic lesson. Mm-hmm. And on occasion I get to, to revisit it, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's certainly at a much more uh, reduced and subdued level at this point. Right. Well, it is always a practice. These are, even though we've learned these lessons through ceremonies, we get to put them into practice over and over again, both in ceremony and in everyday life. Um, another really important one for, for me in, this, in the same vein was this uh, practice of Tonglin 
that we we learned in our um, meditation practice, and that is basically inhaling another person's suffering and exhaling, sending them love and peace, but just taking taking it on and, and knowing that there's infinite space, that infinite indestructible space within that we all have infinite space for this. And so one of the lessons that, that I have had to learn kind of over and over again, there's no particular ceremony that, that pointed to this for me, but it's over and over again had to learn is that when you're sitting in ceremony, um, whether you're the facilitator or a participant, a lot of times you get to experience some of the things that other people are going through in the circle. So you may have thoughts that don't feel familiar to you. Um, you, you may have sensations that just feel really foreign and, and they may be, you know, they may actually be from someone else in the group. Ayahuasca was originally named telepathy for a good reason. And an important lesson that I have learned is that when we are sitting in the circle together, everything is mine everything is each participants like i accept everything that everyone brings as my stuff to work through because you can really get caught up in a that's not mine who did that come from i need to protect myself yeah. you know with and that's the, a very shama, uh, amazonian shamanic view as well very dualistic mine yours uh, this the other Anyway, keep, keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that was, that was a good interruption. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's this feeling that you need to protect yourself a lot of times. But I remember, you know, in the very beginning when I first started doing ventiatas, you know, I didn't, I didn't have as much stability as, as I have now. And so the ventiata, if you don't know, if this is a first time listening, is when at the very end of ceremony we go and individually do an ikaro or a healing song for each person and it's very um, it's a very intimate experience um, so you you get to to really sometimes physically experience what another person is going through and I would often purge a lot while I was doing ventiatas mm. and that got really frustrating at some points but it's you know you, you just learn to be really open and and take it all in when you're not fighting it it just flows through and we just, you know, knowing that we all have that infinite indestructible space within us and that we can just experience what this other person is going through with compassion and that it, it served some purpose for us and helps us learn about ourselves and uh, to have compassion for others. Yeah. You, you, I wanted to point out... Um, Yes, that all that awesome. Um, I wanted to point out though on the point of uh, protection, <clears throat> we do put in uh, energetic protection uh, at the beginning of the ceremony, um, such that the only um, concerns we have in terms of things being released are coming from inside. And you know, so it's we kind of speak out of both sides of our mouth <laughs> in regards to protection. We want to put in energetic protection just like we would want to put on a motorcycle helmet before getting on the motorcycle. As we get on the motorcycle and put on our motorcycle helmet, we're careful 
And at the same time, we're not constantly thinking about getting into an accident and freaking out about every uh, little little thing that happens out on the road because that actually, may, if one is jittery on a motorcycle as they're driving down the road, that's going to make them much more accident-prone and uh, cause a lot of suffering on that ride uh, and also increase the chances of... Um, something going sideways uh, no pun intended so what you know we do put in uh, protection and we do protect ourselves uh, as well and our job is to make sure that uh, external uh, energies that are leaving one person don't enter another Um, that said it's important to point out and this can be confusing for some people is that as energies uh, unwanted energies leave uh, one of the guests, it's going to kind of hover around in the space looking for uh, looking for a new home, so to speak. And um, as it does that, it might hover over people. And if, let's, let's say it's the energy of, of fear. And if there's a similar energy of fear existing in the person that it's hovering over, it's going to resonate and it's going to bring that to the surface and um, bring up fear because that exists in that in the person that it's hovering over and <clears throat> that's actually I view that as a, a huge gift and, and, and teacher because that's we're here to clean out those sorts of things so by it that energy hovering there it's it's stimulating the the rising of, of fear in that person not not pleasant of course but it, it helps that person uh, also release and so it's important for people to understand that as they um, begin to work with ayahuasca and maybe they those people have some background in energy work and so forth and they can get a little oh, oh my god no that's not mine but it actually is yours <clears throat> because it's just being stimulated it's it's not that it's coming into you because the medicine is pushing these things out it's not um, you're not turning into a sponge <laughs> an energetic sponge that could probably be an entire other podcast topic yeah. is just like the energetic mechanics of ceremony because what I was just speaking about, the Tong Lin, is, is actually like that's that's a complicated subject because I don't recommend that everyone does that. I think right. there needs to be some practice in place and some other stabilities in place before you start doing something like that. But I we do put in that protection and ayahuasca is definitely pushing all these energies out. And in the context of ceremony, when you feel something that someone else is feeling and that that is, you know, that's safe. You're not take you're not gonna end up taking that into your body tissues or taking that home with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it could yeah. be a whole nother topic. Yeah, and we get into the topic of um, and just to make it simple is that training to become a facilitator of ayahuasca, and I would say training for any kind of energy work, um, ideally there is a process of energetic purification such that there is, in the facilitator practitioner um, there is the um, purification of the energetic body such that there's nothing to stick to there's nothing to resonate and uh, as there's an interaction there's, there's equanimity is the response openness is the response and that what would be called negative energy would just flow through and that's what through the practice of dieta and I would say our other practices such as um, meditation and um, and, and 
qigong and all these other things that we do and combo too um, clean out the the our uh, energetic bodies physical and energetic bodies such that we don't get affected and knocked around by uh, quote-unquote negative energies like other people might so yeah and, and on the the point of this purification and, and the energetic body and so forth um there's, there's no question that energies exist. Energy does exist. I think science uh, has done a great job of proving that. Uh, we are just balls of condensed energy uh, or slowly moving uh, molecules or what have you. I'm not a scientist. Sorry for the, the uh, mangling of an explanation. Anyway, that said, we what we often do is we create stories around those ineffable energies and also our physical energies and our life itself and uh, I think you've had some good lessons around stories right oh yeah um I had one particular ceremony that just ended up making me laugh a lot in the end but it was very early on I think I was under 10 ceremonies and um I'm laying there and and I'm envisioning all these mazes and I have kind of this anxiety that I need to figure out how to get through the maze or there were all these tasks that I had to be completing in my vision and I realized at some point wait a minute no 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 I I don't have to I don't have to do any of that that's not this is not coming from ayahuasca this is literally coming from me trying to hang on to my reality or to myself or create some kind of conflict to keep myself held together. And so as soon as I would realize that I that that was me uh, creating that story and that I didn't have to do any of that, that all I needed to do was give up and relax, it would poof, go away. And I would relax again and it would just be a very sweet feeling. And then all of a sudden I imagined it like, like my mind is a chia pet, just like growing, sprouting things. It would just sprout another story and I'd get all wrapped up in, I have to do this. And there's this puzzle. I have the, the geometric crazy fractal puzzle I have to put together. And then wait, no, wait a minute. No, I don't have to do that at all. I just have to lay here and breathe. That's all I have to do. And at some point it got really hilarious because I'd step back and I became the witness and I'm just watching my mind creating these things. Mm. And I just started laughing because I was like, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. That is the bullshit that my mind came up with that night was really hilarious. So uh, that was a very, very powerful one for me because it really showed me... Um, where the where the witness is and and how to and this is something i say in group circle a lot but uh, thoughts and stories they're like tigers in a zoo right you might watch them they fighting and it might be really beautiful to watch these really powerful animals do their thing but don't jump in the pen with them that is just, that's a recipe for disaster and a lot of suffering. But yes, really beautiful and interesting to watch from from the outside. So that one was really um, a very powerful one for me. It, it's funny because I will oftentimes notice 
a guest going through the ayahuasca retreat process. And oftentimes the next morning or um, even leading up to ceremony, sometime during the day, I will get a ping of like, oftentimes it's kind of obvious on their face. They're like kind of looping in their head and they're, they're, they're just thinking, thinking, thinking. And I'll go up to them and I'll be like, hey, you're thinking a lot, aren't you? You're stressing out a little bit. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what thoughts are? And they'll be like, what? They're just thoughts. There's, there's The funny thing about thoughts is they're not based in any substance. They have no foundation. It's totally a creation of the mind. And the error that we make is we think they're real. Thoughts are just thoughts. That's it. Explosions of energy. Indeed, indeed. So. Yes, I still occasionally have a ceremony where my mantra becomes, I don't have to believe that. <laughs> I don't have to believe that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. We don't have to believe our thoughts at all. Yeah, this is true. Teachings from... So many different great teachers, Eckhart Tolle, Adi Ashanti, Buddha. I believe Jesus Christ, although it's not as obvious. But anyway. Well, cool. That that was a very enjoyable podcast for us anyway, I think. I had a yeah. good time there. Um, we will be doing more of these. Um, we're trying to do at least once a month... Uh, podcast a month i think we can get out more uh, we've got some uh, very interesting people that we'll have on as guests here in the near future so we're looking forward to that thank you again for taking the time to listen to this podcast please if you find this content uh interesting or what we're saying interesting and and you're interested in, in either ayahuasca combo shamanic plant or tree dietas please check us out at um, ayahuascafamily.com. Our name is La Familia Ayahuasca, which is Ayahuasca Family in Spanish. And so, yeah, thank you very much, and we will talk to you soon. Oh, my God.